0: Well, hello. My name is Robert Higgins. I don't
1: I don't want to say my name after that. Uh Rob has been doing an increasingly goofier voice every week. Uh and I am on strike. No, this is just Rob. I'm not included anymore in this. I'm also Kate Tuxford.
0: And this is episode 86 of so oh Screenwriting God. from the Trenches. I can't I can't keep that one up. Nope, can't do it. Yeah.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Okay.
0: Uh I was I was gonna try and do like a like a Bill Farmer goofy thing, but then it just it just went it went Jason Momoa right there. And I don't I don't know why.
1: So so maybe we should just uh continue the intro and say uh, what what kind of podcast is this, Rob? It, it's
0: a podcast about the craft and expression of screenwriting in all of its forms. From the perspective of writers just like you, Katexford. Yeah. This week we're 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 meeting with a, a friend of ours, a, a, a Twitter bro in arms, Lucas McNelly, writer and director of the micro-budget thriller Upcountry. But before we get into Lucas, we must talk about what is screenwriting Twitter a Twitter about? But uh, in solidarity with the Writers Guild, until the strike is over, we will officially be referring to this segment as the Strike Corner. Take it away, Zach. It's
1: just another day in screenwriting
2: drama. Screenwriting drama. Screenwriting drama. It's just another day in screenwriting drama. It's another day in screenwriting drama.
0: So, Kate Tuxford, I got a question for you. Yeah. Who was the worst Twitter villain this week? The playwright who told TV writers that written material suffers when it's written by committee? Or the guy or the... 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 Um, the Ah, I have a specific word for that person, but I will not use it on this podcast. Now, the, the person who released the trial of the AI writing poda, uh, program, PseudoWrite, which has already been proven to have pilched or pilfered from people writing fu- fury, furry, erotica on the Internet. Who, I who mean, your vote?
1: well, um, <laughs> you know, I... I have to go for the AI guy because, oh. because because here, here's here's my thing. His his program's called Pseudo Write, which is a play on pseudo as in fake. Yeah, um, and, and, so that's already just like it's a little on the nose. Like if I were to write that in a script, they would be like, I don't think anyone's gonna buy your villain writing pseudo write AI writing program. But the spelling um,
0: of it, speaking as a writer, you know, the spelling of it is already offensive because it's not the proper prefix for pseudo like you could have used pseudo like with the P yeah
1: yeah
0: you could have used that and that would have made sense because of the prefix whereas pseudo is is it's not a sudoku writer it's not a it doesn't write puzzles
1: it's spelled like sudoku uh, lucas you you are a man of the internet and, and of the twitters and screenwriting twitter who yeah. was the worst uh, did you see both of these villains on, on twitter this week
2: i did i think it's the ai guy too because like the just was the level of cluelessness <laughs> about that and just like walking into like a hail of bullets and spending all this time to do it, like much like the Batman, it's
0: like Robert Pattinson's Batman, just walking into a hail of bullets, completely oblivious as to what the effects of those bullets are. Yeah,
2: the playwright was just dumb, and th- but this guy like spent like money. He got like b- venture capitalist money. I'm assuming and, three like, million
0: dollars in venture capitalist oh,
2: money. Oh, I didn't know that. I <laughs> wow. did. I yeah. looked it up.
0: Three million dollars <laughs> in seed money for Pseudo Right. So that he could plagiarize people on the internet and sell it to, and I'm not, sorry for saying this. If you use pseudo right, you are a hack. You are a hack. You are a hack and you are writing with a program that makes you into a hack and is created by another hack. You are a hack all the way down. You fell out of the hack tree and hit every single branch. You are a hack. Hack.
1: You got do you got another one in you or are you good?
0: Heck.
1: Okay. Okay, no, I'm good. I'm good. I'm yeah, good. I think I think I was gonna go for playwright guy earlier in the week, but but he this this guy and Suter Wright came out just yesterday swinging and it's like they didn't even like read the room, you know. It, you it, know it was it, just, it was it was it was just kind of like they just like were so lost in their little startup Silicon Valley bubble that they're like maybe people don't Writers don't want AI taking their jobs right now. They didn't even they didn't think maybe that had been a conversation. Going
2: maybe on. writers don't want to pay an AI
1: to he take their for job them. for them. Yeah, exactly.
2: You know
0: what? Here's the thing that, re- that that no one is really talking about. The 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 strategy that this guy James Yu is is using in his responses to people who have Valid concerns about his improperly titled plagiarism machine is that he is using the white supremacist tech, uh playbook. When you fight white supremacists online, as I have, when you they use a certain playbook of like of respectability and like whataboutism and things like that. Like the playbook is is very it's very it, it, it's it's standard. They use it. You can see it. Trolls use it now too. And you can see it, he's using the exact same thing, like trying to gaslight writers into being like, this isn't plagiarism. We just need new words to to, to say what this thing is actually doing. And it's yeah. like, no, I'm sorry. The English language is fine, motherfucker. You're stealing from people. Anyway, I have a strong opinion. Yes.
1: Yeah, I, I, don't, <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't blame you. Moving on, other things in the strike corner yeah, this week. Speaking
0: of strong opinions, you know who had a strong opinion? SAG had a strong opinion.
1: Yes, they did. Yes, they did.
0: They had they had some strong opinions, and they, they're about to vote on it. So. They, uh, they've
1: already started voting. Many people on Twitter are posting their yes votes, which I guess is legal. I, I got nervous because, you know, it's not legal to post your votes for political, like, co- you know, voting. And so I was like, can you do that? But I think it's fine. Yeah, and I mean, they're they're doing it now. People are getting the word out. Votes are coming in already, and the votes I'm seeing are...
0: Yes, motherfucker. Yeah, Kate Tuxford, this is actually pretty historic. These guys haven't, the, the screen actors guild hasn't had a strike since the 80s.
1: Yeah.
0: Pretty sure Reagan was
2: president. We they were nearly children. went on strike in 08.
1: That's true. Yeah. They got yeah. pretty
2: close because I was, because I'm trying to get a movie made and with SAG actors and looking at the strike going, oh, fuck. Ah, um, fuck a duck so uh yeah they almost went in 08 and in 08 they worked out a deal where you if you were an independent production you could get a waiver for uh, see, to use sag actors they had like this, 90 films lined up
0: see this is this is what i've been talking about for the last 3 weeks this is this is this is the, the the screenwriters the screen uh actors guild sag aftra they constantly do things the way that I wish the Writer's Guild would do. They have this, they have lovely things that, like that, where they're like, hey, Lucas, you want to make the movies, but you're not one of these truck companies. We don't, we, we know that you're just doing your thing. You're good. You want to follow the rules. You want to be in the, in the game. We're, we're going to give you a waiver. You know, we're going to let you sign up for a thing so that you can keep your production going and be a good boy. And Lucas is like, I'll, I'll take your thing. I'll be a part of the, the change. And like, you know, but the Writers Guild, uh, you need to do that for folks who who are non-union writers, who would like to be, who would like to have the same protections after doing the exact same job as write, union writers. But they're coming up in different ways. Like we have to acknowledge the fact that there is a large, if not overwhelming, market of writers who are getting their big breaks in a non-union space. And if you ignore them, that is going to be a problem. I'm just, it's, it's just, it's a it, as writers, it's amazing that you can't see that B storyline creeping up on you. It's so weird <laughs> that <laughs> as writers, we can't see it. And I'm just like, all right, that's coming back. That's clearly coming back, but all right, nobody wants to hear what I have to say.
2: I will say that SAG is maybe one of the only unions in the world that won't let you do your union, the thing you do in the union, outside of the union. Like, if you're, if you work at the Ford plant, and you want to, like, restore, like, Thunderbird on your weekend, like, nobody's stopping you. But if you're a SAG actor, and you want to make, like, a web series on your own, they're like, nope, nope.
0: That is yeah. true. The Screen Guild is not the per- Screen Actors Guild is not perfect. I had that problem on Christmas. Literally, I had that problem that you're talking about. I had a I wanted to shoot a a Christmas rom com for my wife, and one of the actors that I wanted to use is one of my favorite people, Gloria. Shout out to Gloria. She's been in two of my movies, and I wanted to use her as my lead actress, but I didn't have give the Screen Actors Guild the proper lead time, and they were like, no. <laughs>
1: Yeah. I was going to say they, they did have some really nice flex, especially since we're going to talk micro budget a lot here on this episode, which is they do have a new micro budget agreement that has come out for SAG, which is if it's under $20,000, you can basically the actors will be, they'll, they'll be allowed to to be in SAG, et cetera, et cetera. But there's a lot more flexibilities regarding like COVID protocols and health and pension and all that good stuff. So
2: Until you sell the movie
1: until you sell the movie and exactly. then you
2: automatically <laughs> and then you have to upgrade it to a uh, ultra low budget contract
1: yes that and is hundred percent i feel like lucas has been bitten by this
2: yeah
0: well um, listen, i mean i i would at least respect it. At least that it allows you to get the movie in the can and then yeah. figure out where like where how how, how deep you want to go so i at least yeah. respect them for that because they at least give you an option because they could have just not
1: what
2: i'd like to see them do is create just create a thing where it's like if the it's under a certain number let's say it's 50 and just be like look guys there's here's what could go wrong and here's because they're really their job is to protect you from getting like screwed over by some unscrupulous production to say look we're not gonna because we don't they don't have the resources to like figure out what's going on on a twenty thousand dollar movie or a fifteen thousand dollar movie or whatever and just say like (laughs) look here's some red flags here's things you want to look out for, go with God, <laughs> good luck. Because ultimately they want their actors working in these small productions because that's what leads them to be able to get jobs on bigger productions.
1: Right. 100%. Or
0: And also it allows younger actors who are coming up, if you are going to do a SAG production where you have SAG actors, that, that lets other actors who are non-union get SAG points. So that they can uh, Sag eligibility points, so that they themselves can become members of the guild. Because once they've done a certain number of those Sag projects, then they can get their own Sag card. So that's the thing. Like that, that little system allows people to come up in the industry. Whereas, you know, certain certain guilds don't have that kind of program
1: right, you know? <laughs> well you know it's a slightly different system we've talked about it last week so i'm gonna make us i'm making us move on rob yeah so. okay i'm, okay. I'm not i don't team. want you to turn into grumpy old man you know yells at cloud okay i think um, i've already
0: done that when i called everybody a hack but that's okay like you know or at least right. i called those people that a
1: cloud hack. has it is gusted by in the wind and moved <laughs> on um okay so the other thing is speaking of people being way too grumpy about it yes uh, this
0: perfect is segue perfect.
1: Stopping mad at people taking pictures of themselves having fun on the strike line, okay? Like they're trying to make these strike times fun, festive, people are coming and singing music, people are having fun signs and bringing pizza and it looks like it's a street party and people are complaining that, you know, people shouldn't be partying when jobs are on the line and people are losing work and it's, you know, they're financially suffering. And I get that for all of you negative Nancy's out there, but I trust me, this is just to keep morale up and to get people showing up every day and doing the monotonous thing of being at the picket line. It is not fun being at the picket line. You know, right. uh, I, yeah. So, so I'm just, this is just anybody who's been a little grumpy about that, let it go. I just,
0: I, I'm going to disagree with you a little bit, Kate Tuxford, not on the fact that people shouldn't be, shouldn't be shouldn't let this go I really feel like they should let this go but I feel like it's very much okay like it's not nobody should have a dire attitude about this this is about celebrating the freedom to be able to make your own way about about the freedom to protest like these are our rights these these are the things that we stood upon as america stand upon as americans it is literally the first amendment This is sort of the race that we should be celebrating. We should be out there every day. This should feel like a block party. We should be out here going, we're American, goddammit. And we get to do shit like this. And anyone who doesn't like that, you can suck a dick. This is what it's all about. This is what, this is literally the most basic expression of freedom in America. And we should be proud of that every fucking day. And if you have a problem with that, then you have a problem with America.
1: (laughs) (laughs) i mean uh i i'm not i'm not going to i'm not touching that one um because i love uh and i haven't heard it since like elementary school if you have a problem with it you have a problem with america as a retort so (laughs) keep it it's great yeah no i think it's great the other thing is that we as we talked about last week All the noise and honking is bothering the people in the studios, and they're just getting louder. People are taking pictures of the whistles they're getting. Disney just yesterday had a Newsies rally where they had a marching band march around the picket lines playing Newsies songs while everyone's like singing out (laughs) Newsies lyrics. Yeah,
0: I heard Weezer showed up. I saw pictures from that. Weezer showed up at
1: Paramount. I think like two days ago. Some of my friends were there, so they were like, and they were at the non-Weezer gate, and they were they were like, of course we missed Weezer. I know. Yeah. New either? Weezer
2: or old Weezer, though, because that's going to really determine, like, how I mean, the people were, missing.
1: It was yeah. Rivers,
2: I know, and somebody else. It might be. But were they doing Pinkerton songs or Ooh, were they doing, know. like, the new stuff?
1: That I don't know because they weren't at the right gate. <laughs> they weren't <laughs> at the gate. <laughs> okay. And then the last thing I have on my list here for our strike corner is ABC released a quote unquote strike proof fall lineup. Anyone have impressions on this?
0: It was lame. Next part uh yeah it was it was, lame. <laughs> it was super lame. <laughs> uh
1: it was just a bunch of reality tv reruns mm-hmm. of abbott elementary and now that sag might go on strike that may not work out so hot for them because sag does cover some of those game show hosts and people like that as well yeah
0: hard to do dancing with the stars of wayne brady can't cross a picket line it's gonna be yeah. hard gonna uh, be difficult
1: so anyway, we will. It will be interesting to see what that fall lineup actually is. But to that, I say, to am I'm I'm fine with burning it all down. Speaking of burning it all down, welcome to uh to the show, uh, Maverick Lucas McNelly here, who went and made a movie in the wilderness of Maine. And uh, if I recall, you told me this the other day. It was a seven-day shoot, and it was five thousand-dollar feature film, which yeah. is we we stand a a low-budget micro-budget film getting it done. And I mean, one
2: half of half of one of those days was a company move, ooh. so it's really we really only shot six and a half um, days because we had to travel uh, four hours from one location to the other.
0: Company moves literally pucker my asshole. I
2: I, Because uh... they're no fun. But we had, well, so we shot it in the northern Maine woods, but we had two scenes that we had to shoot down here in the mid-coast because we needed electricity for one of them. And in the other one, we needed a clearing. And we didn't have a clearing near, up in Arista County where we could shoot it. and But we had one behind my parents' house. So we shot those two scenes here and then... Is that Before for the circle shot?
0: Off. Like I've watched your film, Lucas. So is that for that circle shot that you guys you guys do that that really big like travel three No.
2: Oh, on the roads? No. no
0: that was so was... when you're uh when John reaches the clearing and then he's there and he's just like it sort of realizes that there's this, there's nothing there but more woods and there's just like yeah. that big shot. Yeah, uh, I think uh, so. Yeah. So Lucas, we got to ask, man. Uh, Signature so
1: you, question here.
2: Yeah, yeah, how did you get into this business that we call show? I was a sports person. I was went to college for sports broadcasting and was going to be like basketball, baseball play by play guy. And but turns out there's like no jobs there, like at all, because those guys like they just don't retire ever. Yeah. So my senior year, and and I wasn't really into movies at all in high school. My senior year, they had a film festival, they decided. And I was like, well, how hard could that be? Because I was a writing minor. And so I just decided to make a short film. And I had no idea what I was doing. I didn't even know how to put the camera on the tripod. I literally knew how to hit record. And we won the film festival. And so then, of course, I got hooked. Oh, that little, chasing, that
1: little bit of validation early on. chasing
2: that mm-hmm. ever mm-hmm. since. It's
0: like getting on stage as a stand-up comic and just killing it. And you're just like, what?! Yep this is
2: easy and then yeah. it turns out it's not easy
1: um, so, <laughs> if this is
2: hard i can do this so easy <laughs> yeah
1: so anyway just to fill in folks at home upcountry i believe as well you i mean since you're filling filming in northern maine without electricity mm-hmm. you, are you guys camping and we filming had, this
2: we had a cabin that my father's cousin owned that was it's yeah a that was cabin up there we see in the movie no, no, that's oh. a hunting camp with no electricity and no running water. <laughs> um, that's my family's hunting camp that we've it's been built. It's been there since like oh, I don't know, like before my father was born, I think. Yeah, it was just this camp, um, that he had and had like one bedroom, and so we all crashed there, and then we would drive a four wheeler in, like a mile to the or take a car about a mile to the edge of the woods, and then we would hike in every day. We shot sun up to sundown. Wow with all natural light and bounce boards.
1: I'm just going to ask how what was your spiel to get people on board for this? Uh-huh. You know, it's, it's, yeah. pretty, it's pretty hard. It's pretty hard to get you know some performers in LA outside of the 30-mile zone of the studios. So how did you get all these people up into Maine in a cabin where you all shared a room?
2: Yeah, it was I, I don't know. It was cuz we couldn't pay anybody because the whole budget was getting people there and feeding them and like some other you know random incidental stuff so the selling point was hey it's a week in maine come up to maine for a week we'll make this movie and it'll be fun and i lucked into finding some people who thought that was a pretty good idea and i only knew one of them prior to filming and that was our sound guy
1: oh wow wow
2: so so then it was just any of the actors I didn't know any of the actors. I hadn't met any of the actors before. One of them, uh, Kieran came from New York. Tyler came from Boston. And Johnny came from Texas. And then the DP was from Massachusetts. So he came up and his sort of the selling point for him was it was he was going to just go visit his family for like a week afterwards. So that was his argument. He's like, okay, yeah, and do that. And then the we got two crew people that came up from Connecticut. Who were students and two of them came from uh us two sisters came and from new york
1: oh wow okay so, so how many people how many so how many people was a, a cast and crew
2: so we had a cast of three including and then my father being the fourth person he played the guide and then our crew was we had a dp uh assistant camera a sound person boom op and then uh, Scripty, and then Carly, who did like everything else. (laughs) And then our boom-op- There's always an
1: everything else position. Yeah,
2: yeah. yeah, our boom-op got sick on like the second day of filming. And so my father was up there for the first three days and he was gonna head back down. And so she was getting sick and we're like, look, if you're gonna get sick, if it's fine. We'll soldier on without you you know, we'd love to have you here, but we don't want you to get sick. And so, like, if you have to go, go. And she ended up in the hospital, actually. So we really dodged a bullet there. Like, she had something, like, appendicitis or something.
1: Oh, shit. Something
2: serious, yeah. Where she, it was a really good thing that she left.
0: Yeah, that would would have turned into its own movie. You know what I mean? (laughs) It would have been bad. You wake up and there's a dead crew member. It's like, what are we going to (laughs) do? somebody pick up the camera <laughs> we're getting this right
1: yeah
0: I mean, that was, that's 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 yeah a, that's like a like a ty west movie yeah it's like a whole different thing but uh okay so there's i i gotta wonder because I K kate tuxford and i were having questions about this and we were wondering if there were themes of racism uh white supremacy like like but I'm wondering if that's sort of tied up in the inspiration for Upcountry. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm wondering where you sort of stand on that.
2: No, not really. It was, it wasn't like like baked in. I wrote it. And then when I went to cast it, someone suggested Kieran. And I went, oh, well, that's much more interesting if it's a black guy in the woods than if it's just three white guys. You know, if there's the little bit of diversity, I thought was a much more interesting element for it and then for him to be the character that he is I thought would play with the tropes of a horror movie where you would not expect him to be that character right without getting too spoilery.
1: Right. Yeah yeah I think I think you like when I did see when I did know this was a thriller in the woods and stuff and then I saw him enter I was like oh no when is (laughs) you know when is he going to die? You know yeah and I knew Rob was watching it too and I was ready for him to be like they're not gonna kill this guy, are they? You know, we, yeah. we I think I think uh I think everybody was asking it and then you answer it kind of in your own unique way, you know. You you definitely play on that trope. Well, there and, were a um, couple lot of the ways dialogue
0: I thought it was gonna go, and
2: it just didn't go in those ways. Yeah. Sweet. <laughs> Always the goal, right? Right. Um and then a lot of the dialogue was improvised, so or at least embellished or added. And so I I think we definitely all agreed that we should lean into that. And so Kieran's dialogue really led, he was sort of just played with that a lot.
1: Nice. Now, okay, so this is something, you know, I, I think Rob and I encounter this with a lot of filmmakers, which is when you're doing something that's like this, where you have to have that flexibility and do improv, you, I mean, you're directing this and and you're kind of maintaining the story as the writer as well. How mm-hmm. do you get them to improv in a way? Like what, what's your technique to get the right kind of improv out of them?
2: Um, I have, you know, you have the outline and you have the sort of the point A to point B of the scenes. We had like a 40 page outline for this because I knew that we were going to need to be nimble. And I knew that like a fully written out script wouldn't be as nimble as we needed it to be for that shooting. So that was part of it. And then it's, just what we would really do is mostly uh Johnny and Kieran would would work through a scene and they would run it like while we were getting to the next location they would run a scene the big dialogue scenes four or five six times almost like a play and so they had it pretty much worked out by the time they got there and I would sort of check in on them every like so often and they were sort of working on them like the night before things like that so really my trick is to hire two really good actors and
1: that's what do their thing yeah. and
2: I try to get oh, actors who who do other things than just acting I like to get actors who also who also write and also direct and things like that and Johnny Mars especially is a crew person as well down in Austin he's like a Jack uh, like a jack of all trades and so he was literally like he was gripping like during scenes like he was holding bounce boards like for his over the shoulder shots and stuff like that. So that I helped know. a lot.
1: Yeah. Go yeah, ahead, Rob. that's
0: that's gotta be great. You know, I, I I don't think that I would get well, I don't know. I've I've had some pretty I have I have had Logan. Logan is, is is one of my favorites. He's he's one of those actors that comes in and like he's got his own ideas on how a scene will go and he'll take your dialogue and, and, and sort of transform it into his own. But he's also the same person who's the first to pick up a light or pick up a bounce board or pick up a uh, a slate and just be like, all right, Logan slates and then get under the bed so we don't see you. <laughs> just like one of those people. So shout out to Logan, who is one of my favorite people. And You, you wanna get actors like that who are just like, just down for whatever.
2: Yeah, like, and I mean, if you're making a movie where you're hiking into the Northern Maine woods in a town that has no name, then you sort of pretty quickly weed out the people who aren't down to pick up a light. Kitchen, right. you know, you're sort of like, look, guys, we're all in this together. Like, you're not going to stand there and go, well I don't know." SAG says I shouldn't pick up this C stand. Not that we had any C stands to pick up, but you know, you are sort of already have got people who are not, you know, going to be prima donnas. I guess.
1: Yeah.
0: Right. 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 Because you know the the last thing you need is any sort of like. Uh, you know, sort of division uh, of, of of class or, or structure when you're on a, when you're on a, a a very small crew like that. Like when it, when you have one of those things where it's a hundred people on the ground and everybody's got jobs and things like that, and you sort of need it's very much like a military production. You know, like mm-hmm. that's fun, but when you're a guerrilla ragtag group just like doing your your own thing out in the woods, like you don't need anybody to be precious. That's just that's just gonna make everybody else hate you. Like so yeah. <laughs>
2: just the only uh, thing you really need to be precious with is the camera, and right. making sure like you know, don't move the lenses so the camera guy can't so the DP can't find them. You know, <laughs> that's really like the one of the few things like, don't fuck with anybody's equipment because, their equipment and you're you might break it.
1: Right. That's fair. That's fair. Well,
0: if you're gonna go micro budget, you got to go bold. So'm I'm, I'm curious
2: Lucas what were you what what were you trying to say with this film? I mean I I wanted to I wanted to make a film up there. I've always I've wanted to make a film up there for years because the cabin that is in the film is like such a cool location and so and I also wanted to toy with the I, I wanted to play with the the horror stuff a little bit. I'm not really a big horror movie watcher. But I wanted to sort of get adjacent to it. And then I sort of liked this idea of a film about survival and friendship. And, you know, like these two guys working together to try to get out of this situation.
1: Yeah, I was going to say that maybe I've been binging way too much Yellow Jackets. But I think there's something interesting about The Woods where... I think we we often see it in horror or something like that as, ah, there's something out there to get you. But I'm from Arizona, so, you know, we also have a pretty harsh environment. And, you know, the environment alone is out to get you. You don't really need a big bad in the woods for things to go terribly terribly wrong. And I think it's interesting that that creates in your story I don't want to give too much away, although I think you guys can figure out some people get lost in the woods. But I think we can yeah. I, we can safely say that. I think I think what's nice about it is the the kind of existential terror um that just happens with being disoriented and lost is is pretty horrific in its own right.
0: Well, yeah. So the thing that I sort of took away from it not to spoil anything, but it's just like like you i think you're you're hitting that nail on the head kate tuxford it's just a, like you're the existential dread of being lost in the woods is like is something that i feel like we should focus on more sort of in that like that hatchet kind of way where it's like you know like do you know how to make a fire do, do you know how to make a fire like you know what i mean and if you if you even if you do sort of know how to make a fire like you know, like, even in the that Boy Scouts way, do you have the right tools? You know, like, do you have any sort of, do you have anything? And if you just get stuck out there in the woods with, like, nothing. Like, you know, some people, like, you know, can, you know, even Rambo needed a knife. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> <it> was, <laughs> mm-hmm. like Rambo leaves the whole police station the first, but he takes this giant knife. He's using a knife for everything. But he needed that knife. You know what I mean? But it's, at the same time, you're just like, if you don't, and then you end up in the woods, you're just, there's, you know, if you end up in like this massive space where it's just nothing but woods for hundreds of miles around, you're screwed. If, you know, if, oh, I yeah. think most people are just kind of like, you know, like, I, I, do you, do you know, like what, you know, what things you can and can't eat? There are certainly things in the woods that you eat that will kill you. Do you know when the best, you know, you can't even drink the right water. You know what? But yeah,
1: yeah. You can't drink the water. Yeah, exactly.
0: Drinking the wrong the wrong water will fuck you up, and you end up throwing up all over yourself. And like, you know,
1: dehydrated. Yeah, dehydrated.
0: Water will dehydrate you.
1: I'm curious in that area of Maine. How often do like you guys hear about campers getting like med med backed out of there, or you know something went wrong in the woods? Like, is that something that happens? It happens. Yeah,
2: it happens to tourists on a semi-regular basis where they get in over their heads but yeah and like one of the key things in the film was you know he's really trying counting on his technology to save him and he doesn't really find salvation until he gives up on that and lets the and sort of gives in to the environment and there's that like scene with the shotgun shell casing and then when he that's sort of like his symbolic okay I give up and then that's the thing that leads him to uh, safety eventually.
1: Someone's safety. Yeah, I'm not going to spoil anything. Yeah, someone. I mean, again, we're still, it's still harsh. It's a harsh, it's harsh story. (laughs) So I, you know, we get a lot of our listeners or filmmakers as well. And a lot of them are probably looking at this summer going, uh, we got a strike going on. It's time to kind of sit down and work on my own stuff see what I can shoot, see what I can do with my team, kind of look inward. If somebody wanted to run, you know, do their own version of a uh, country, uh, do you have any, uh, you know, not not your particular story, but wanted to right. kind of do a run and gun, seven, eight day shoot with people who are passionate. Do you have any words of advice for them or things you ran into that maybe you would like them to not have to suffer?
2: I think the big thing is right around things you already have. That's like, at at any level of an indie film, I think you're crazy to not do that. To either write around things you already have, or you know that you can very easily get, and don't try to like, you know, make a film that involves explosions and aliens and whatever else. Like I knew I had that cabin. I knew I had the woods all around in, for miles and miles. And could do whatever I wanted there, although I didn't realize that it would be bear hunting season, and that there would be bear hunters in the area. So that was not the smartest move on my part. And I knew I had bear hunting season. Yeah, I knew I had things like that. There's like an old bridge, like an old abandoned bridge, and things like that. And so I just sort of wrote around those touchstones, and once you do that, it sort of simplifies the process process for you quite a bit. And then it was a question of finding, of calling up someone who had medical knowledge and being like, what is the thing that can happen to someone where they will be really, really screwed in the woods? And then that gave us a ticking clock because ultimately they could be, I mean, you could live in the woods for a really long time. Right. You know, like I have, uh, there's a dude in my family who his wife kicked him out and she was convinced that like he was going to, you know repent of the error of his ways and he just moved into the like a hunting camp up there and like put up solar panels and live there for like the next like 10 years
0: well, thanks for the freedom lady and then yeah he, he was out. he was
2: thrilled so i mean so you needed the ticking clock to you know to move the story along
1: yeah, I, I, I can definitely see that. And maybe I've just been watching a lot of Alone on Netflix as well. So at first, I'm like, oh, this seems nice. But as soon as something does go wrong, it's not it's not so nice. So I, I totally understand that. You guys are going to have to watch it so you can hear understand that ticking clock advice. Well, Rob, do we want to ask our other signature questions? I believe I know, we do.
0: I believe yeah. that we do. Do so you want
1: to go first?
0: I always go first. So Lucas... I gotta yeah. ask. Do you like writing? Do you like writing, Lucas? Yeah, mostly. <laughs> <laughs> you do know, not like it. Sure. Um kind of
2: overall. Overall, I like it. Um, there's elements of it I don't like I don't like the thing where so for main noir the movie I'm trying to get made now like you know there was the seven drafts where I couldn't figure out what was wrong with it and I didn't like that but I liked all the other elements of it I like trying to work out a story in my head while I'm like on a run you know things like that so yeah in general I would say I like writing
1: okay and and I think I already know this answer and Rob's already rolling his eyes. <laughs> Do you outline when you write?
2: Yeah. Or are you but a pantser? I am an outliner, but I'm not a good outliner. I usually start with the ending. That's usually the first thing I know. And so you kind of have to outline to work backwards in a lot of ways. But I also have never taken any courses or classes or anything on film in my life. Oh no, I took the intro to cinema class in college where they like make you watch Citizen Kane. And so I don't you're like really... ah
1: those low angle shots. Very good. Yeah. Okay. So
2: like every time I start a movie, I'm like I start writing a movie, I'm like, wait, how is this structure? What are what are these story beats supposed to go? How is this supposed to go again? And so yeah, so I'm an outliner, but I'm not a very good outliner. And then I usually have to throw the outline away at some point
1: it's but still I start a good there. starting point yeah it's still a good starting point to kind of know what what uh what you want the movie to be yeah, uh, usually rob, just start
2: with a three-act thing and then
1: yeah i'm uh, gonna count i'm gonna count this on team outline especially because yeah upcountry was an outline that they made an entire movie was literally
0: an outline yeah so yeah. yeah i'm gonna give that one to UK tuxford
1: uh rob is our resident pantser so oh i'm um, aware <laughs> we're not even sure rob has pants on right now uh, while we're chatting you never
2: know you, you never, never know. know
1: but that's okay well i'm sorry rob but he's on my team my my cool team did you also see that i changed my twitter profile to say the best host on screenwriting from the trenches oh week? wow
2: oh wow i did not
1: throwing Damn. down
2: I will point out that my first feature was $1000, so in that sense I am on Rob's team.
1: You are Rob? Mm. Yeah. Mm.
2: That, so that Rob, you'll appreciate filmmaker. you'll appreciate this. The first feature I did was a thing called a 2-week film, which there's only been like 3 of them, where me and two other filmmakers uh dared each other to make a to shoot and edit a feature in 2 weeks. And so so seven days called luxurious compared yeah. to that. And so that was, so we did that for a thousand dollars. So it's, it's similar to your cinema thousand dollar challenge series, whatever you're calling yeah, it. Yeah. The
0: cinema challenge series. Yeah. That that's interesting. I, I I wonder if we could do that for the channel. That'd be interesting. It'd be like, can you make a two movie? Weeks. My heart I'm
1: toying with
2: raising. the idea of bringing it back. Um, do you
0: have to write, shoot and edit in two weeks? Just shoot you, and edit. Just shoot and edit, okay. So you have as much yeah.
2: time as you want to write it, but we only. But when we came up with the idea, we gave ourselves a month to do prep and write. But we could also, like, you know, pick See, an because all of I, I don't know, because
0: I, you know, I, I think all of my movies are designed to sort of be shot in, like, a very small amount of time where it's like, you know, like, we shot Around the World in four days. Barbara, we shot in six. And but around the world was much more of the thing because it was like that was 80 pages in like four and a half days it was just it was absolute insanity whereas barbara was felt like a like a more traditional kind of thing where we had six days and that felt like i felt not luxurious that we still had to be on our p's and q's but it felt like that was like normal that's how it should be but yeah like but then having to to you guys yeah.
1: are hurting. Like I, oh, I don't know if I could go under twelve days, but that's the, just me.
2: Okay. The yeah. beauty of the two-week film is that it really like jolts you out of your like need to be perfect and like waiting for the perfect scenario to come along to get your film made. Right. And what well, that's one thing that really appealed to me about it. And the other thing was it was my first feature. I'm like, well, my first feature, I'm gonna screw everything up anyway. So <laughs> <laughs> let's just do this. And just, if just, it's just bad, face
1: the music. Yeah. Well,
2: that's bad, my sort of thing for you
0: know. That's been our sort of thing for the Cinema Challenge series. Is like you know, this is about craft. You know, you're you're going to make mistakes. You're going to do those things, and hopefully, if you want to do this, you're going to make other films. So you might as well do this. You know, do what you want to do and have it be cheap and and not break the bank because there's nothing more demoralizing than spending you know you know the Dupont brothers did it too you know they spent 60 to uh, you know on a thousand dollars on their first feature film and it sucked and i've done that too where you, you yeah i think like- they spent
1: about fifty thousand and then that that movie got shelved. It doesn't even it doesn't exist. And I spent
0: fifteen and my and that movie doesn't exist. Like I spent about fifteen grand on my first movie and I never wanted to see the light of day. It was terrible. And I wish that we had just done like, you know, had not leaned into, you know, this idea that we need to make in order to make a big boy film, we had to spend all of this money. And it does not matter. It just doesn't.
2: Yeah Um, mine took us two weeks thousand bucks it's profitable it's on tubi it's on prime it's you know it's hey it's out there
1: yeah screened that's... in germany
2: at one point well hey. i'll put a link to it in the show notes so you'll have to cool. do we this definitely to
1: will uh, especially because tubi is free my friends so you guys can watch that and then lucas gets probably a little bit of money because they air some commercials the commercials, um, yeah. Yeah, yeah,
2: just I mean, run it and then just replay it while you're like, grocery again. shopping. Yeah,
1: just I go over that. in the background.
0: So <laughs> let's move on to what are we watching, consuming, writing this week? Kate Toxberg, I, I, I have, I am continuing my book during the strike. I had a, I had a, sort of a dilemma because I'm writing something in a genre that used to be known for sort of singular narratives, but now almost all of them seem to be doing that sort of dual narrative. Like they, they take the protagonists and, you know, um, and now that you get their pers- perspective of one character, then they switch chapters and do this perspective from another character. And while I've done those things before, I was like, do I, does this, do I need to for this? And so I had this moment where I was just like, you know, this is probably one of those things that will make you cringe. Cause I don't, I don't outline. And so I was like, do I have something to say? Does this character have something to say? I don't know. Let's just dive into chapter two and then see what happens. <laughs> and then just like, just started doing it. Started writing it. it was like, "Oh, this is flowing. And then I ended up writing some stuff that was like, that built on what we knew about the character from the previous chapter, but expanded upon it. And it really surprised me. And I was like, no, this is okay. All right. I'm gonna stick with it. So we're sticking with the, the, the two perspective, uh in this novel. So, and just
1: two, not multiple?
0: No, just two. Okay. Just two perspectives. Okay. So,
1: well, I'm going to say that has some historical legacy. I was going to say Dracula's journal entries, the the book is journal entries from different characters about what's going on, and they, they jump to quite a few characters. So it gets interesting that way because, you know, everybody has a little piece of the information. So you know, I think it, I think there's a, a well oiled history of of uh, jumping into those other POVs that keep it interesting. Is that all your? What did you see this week? Well, I
0: also I, well, I started I started Firefly Lane the final season.
1: Okay, which I'm okay. sad.
0: I hope I it know ends. how much you love Firefly. <laughs> I do. I love Firefly Lane. I, I love those characters. I, I'm a huge fan. I hope it ends well. I I had those hopes for dead to me, and then it did not end well. It's very
1: rushed. Lucas, are you working on anything right now? Or have you been watching anything that you think is awesome and should be shouted out?
2: I mean, I've been watching the Celtics playoff games and with varying (laughs) degrees of dread. So there's that. Yeah, I've been working on two different scripts while I try to get this other movie going. And I've been working on a heist movie. And which I just started outlining and sort of breaking down and a sci-fi movie.
0: We don't have enough Lady like, Heist movies.
2: I know. I know. And I came up with this idea while I was listening to like, like a different podcast and I was like, ooh, and I, I quite like it. It awesome. has a little bit of a twist on it. And then it's a and then there's a sci-fi movie about a house that's killing people.
1: I nice. like like so I try
2: to I try to sort of like fuck with genre a little bit, but also make stuff that is low budget enough that I could conceivably shoot it. So.
1: That's always hu- the sweet spot. Yeah. yeah, it's a
2: house that's killing people, and they're trying to figure out why the house is killing people and how to stop it. Fantastic. Awesome. Kate, can um, take us
1: home? Yeah, I was going to say, I feel really bad. I've neglected all media, including my own work because I'm playing Tears of the Kingdom. That's all that matters right now. Uh, We we have, in my household, two of us are playing, my partner Ben and I, and so, he works during the day, so I try to take the afternoon shift. And then after dinner, he takes the night shift so that we can split it up. And, and and if not, I mean, the other option would be to get another switch and be in different rooms. But what happens is, like, I'll play during the day. And then at night, he's always like, look at this, look at this. And I'm working on my computer, so bonding over it, right? Where, like, it's it's relationship building. So it's This
0: really game was funny. so important to Kate Tuxford that she went out of her way to include it. She kept moving it to the outline of like where we were in of the of the podcast. Like, where can I fit in my my love for this game?
1: It just makes me so happy. I I you know my origins with Zelda was when I was sixteen. I broke up with my first boyfriend Sean Cooper, wow. and yeah, and my parents. That. Well, we were at Costco, and my parents bought me a Nintendo sixty four with the ocarina at a time, and Re- uh, Link became my rebound partner, and then then Dark. Zelda, you know, yeah, I know, Dark. I know, I was just like, who needs men when I can have Link in tights running <laughs> oh around? Oh my god! <laughs> and and my parents were like, "Do you remember you were dating somebody?" I'm like, "I don't care, Zelda." So from then, I just kind of just, uh, it's always held that place in my heart. So, do you remember
0: um, interactions with other human beings? I don't care. <laughs> Zelda.
1: Have you met people? Sometimes it's disappointing, but you know what? People Isn't are the never, worst, anyway. Yeah. Zelda is the never best,
0: like, you know, t shirts yeah. on, this, on this podcast. <laughs> they all come from Kate Tux for quotes.
1: Uh, The worst is when you guys start quoting back at me and I'm like, oh fuck, I did say that. You did Um, say that,
0: yeah.
1: Okay, so as a resource of the week, I just feel like this is, what I like about this one is it has a free option and a payout option, which is Sundance Collab. Sundance has their own um, hub and website. They have videos on shooting, filming, writing. If you have the free program i think you get access to three you can pick three of those videos a month uh, they also have a paid version which also includes some feedback and notes from peers so it's definitely something worth checking out if you're looking for So again since we are you know indie as fuck here that will give you some extra skill sets if you as as uh, lucas says has never uh, uh turn on a camera i mean done with anything with a camera besides put, hit the power button you'll have some more info in your arsenal
0: Think of the um, Sundance collab as a as a resource that has consensual emails where you can unassign <laughs> un- from them, and they will they will actually stop coming. Unlike yes. stage thirty two, unlike
1: which, stage thirty two, where if you un-
0: if you you know unassimilate from their emails, they they you would initially enter uh, a some a special form of purgatory where you are just forced to take their emails nonstop every freaking hour on the hour. Oh, wait, no, that's just real life. So that's our show. Screenwriting from the trenches can currently be found on Amazon, Anchor, Apple, Google, iHeartRadio, and Spotify Podcasts, as well as KevinLMartin.com. Our screenwriting Twitter drama theme song was written by Zach Morrison and used with his permission. And, hey, since we're a new podcast, we'd appreciate it if you dropped us a like or rated us five stars on whatever platform that you patronize. Why, Kate Tuxbird?
1: Algorithms.
0: For questions for us that you, we can and will answer on the show, please email me at robbmofo.net. At you can also find us on Twitter. I am at the spectacle of mofo.
1: I am at k underscore tux.
0: What are you on the Twitters, Lucas?
2: I am L. McNelly. And then I should probably mention that Upcountry will come out on June 6th on the Ooh. VODs. Nice.
0: Do you have
1: six is, videos. We will retweet that. Okay. Yes.
0: Zach is at Zach Morrison 18 and these things as well as my YouTube channel where the cinema challenge series has gone into production. i no oh, this this week. Oh well, actually this week on the YouTube channel, we have an interview with known Kroll. We've got a known Kroll interview. Up the there one man the
1: band Ro- Kroll. Yeah, yeah, man.
0: We had a that's a really great Man McCroll. It's really one of those uh like things where we was just like two guys preaching to the, the choir, and the choir was themselves. So it was the choir preaching to the choir. And uh, but it was a great anyway. So it's all it, this if you like this interview about micro budget things, there's another one over on the channel. But anyway, all that is linked in the show notes. Thanks so much for listening. We hope that you will continue to do so
1: now. Stop procrastinating. Those pages aren't going to write themselves.
0: Lucas, thank you for coming on the show. You were a lovely Thanks guest. For